morning. It's always good to be back here. And now we are Ohioans. We uh, had moved from Michigan. Our daughter uh, started teaching at Mayfair over in Akron. And she has fifth, fifth and sixth grade. And she loves it there. So we're very thankful that she had that opportunity to come here. Uh, growing up in Ohio, I'm just coming back home after about an absence of about 30 years. But we're very thankful. Uh, we're looking forward to help develop the work here in Ohio. Uh, we're doing some Bible worker training in the Blooming Grove Church, uh, meeting with different churches. We've got some Bible studies going around in different towns in Ohio. And uh, so let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Uh, we just want to see all our church members have an opportunity to exercise their gifts for ministry. And when we somehow are used by God to make a difference in another precious soul's life, it's when we get a lot more excited about what we believe and who we are. And we just want to see everybody flourish in their faith and have an opportunity to make a difference uh, in another human being's life. So keep praying that God will bring someone into your life to do a kindness, to do some good, to share some truth, any way you can begin to minister. But always have a beginning. Pray for someone to minister to. Our sermon today is on forgiveness, God's forgiveness. When we think about when we forgive one another, forgiveness isn't just about forgetting. It's not forgetting. It's about releasing people from our anger. It's about, it's even more than that. It's the willingness to pay the price of what they had done to us without asking anything in return. We forgive them. We ask Christ's love for them, no matter what they said, no matter what they did. When we think about God's forgiveness to us, we may have a limited idea that it only attains to or is in reference to God's forgiveness of our past. But I want to read you a couple of statements here to begin with. These are found in the book Mount of Blessing, page 114. Forgiveness has a broader meaning than many suppose. God's forgiveness is not merely a judicial act by which he sets us free from the condemnation. It is not only forgiveness from sin, but reclaiming from sin. It is the outflow of redeeming love that transforms the heart David had the true conception of forgiveness when he prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51.10 And again he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed my transgressions from us. Psalm 103, verse 12. God's forgiveness is a judicial act by which he will account us righteous, whereby he will forgive us of our past sins. But as she says, and as the Bible teaches, God's forgiveness is more than forgiveness of our past. As David prayed, create in me a clean heart. And what we're going to see in our sermon today is that when you and I ask for forgiveness... We should not end with God asking us forgiveness for what we had done, but what we had become. That we are asking God 
to forgive us of that evil inside of us that causes us to do the evil act. More than that, when we ask God's forgiveness, we are praying and asking or we're saying, Father, I forfeit that life in me that caused me to do this. So forgiveness, it's much more than God setting us free from what we had done, the penalty. True forgiveness is conversion. It's the born-again experience. That from that point on, we can begin to live a sanctified life. Words similar to forgiveness is justification. Another word would be the word revival. So when we talk about justification by faith, we are talking about God's forgiveness. We're talking about the same word, revival. And what's a revival? A revival is to live again, meaning that we had died spiritually. But forgiveness is about being brought forth from spiritual death, which means that forgiveness has to be much more than forgiveness for what we did. Forgiveness is about being revived from spiritual death to live now a new life. So when the penitent sinner came to the sanctuary and he confessed his sins upon that little lamb, leaning with all his weight, he was not only confessing what he did, he was forfeiting the life that led to that sin. And when he would get up from his knees, he's not simply a man forgiven of his past. The true essence of forgiveness is that he is a new man. Not just a man forgiven of his past. He is now a new man because he just forfeited the life that led him to sin. And he had received the spirit of God to now have a spiritual mind to do spiritual things. And you say, where do we have a verse in the Bible that teaches that? Well, let's turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. See, I think, brothers and sisters, we're still here in part because we've limited our idea of what even forgiveness is. 1 John 1, 9. If we... Confess our sins. He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Notice that in this verse, we do one thing. We confess our sins. God does two things. God not only wants to forgive us of those sins when we confess them, but God also wants to cleanse us from those sins. Which means that I must confess in such a way that I'm not only forgiven for what I did, I'm cleansed from what I did. But what I did is a result of who I am. Therefore, in true confession, we ask God to forgive us for what we did. And that evil that still is inside of me that led me to do it. And Father, I forfeit that part of my life because if I don't ask you to cleanse me of that, what am I going to do? 
I'm going to go back and commit the same sin. Forgiveness is broader, much wider than we have known. God truly wants us to come up from our knees as a new creation in Christ Jesus. And in your book, Great Controversy, page 418, listen to these opening words. The blood, the person comes, brings his sacrifice. The the animal's throat is slit. The priest catches the blood in the bowl. And it says the blood representing the forfeited life of the sinner whose guilt the victim bore. Do you see that? That the blood of this animal was simply not the simply the transference of the sins that the man committed. It is the forfeiture of the life of the sinner. In that confession, if I spoke impatient words, and I come to God and I say, Father, forgive me for my impatience. But Father, I want to forfeit that which is inside of me that caused me to speak those rash, impatient words. Because if that part of that old life that still may be in me doesn't die, I'm still an impatient man. I was just forgiven of my impatience. But what we do is a result of who we are. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4, our scripture reading, Acts chapter 4, verse 6. This is a verse, I believe there's a statement by Sister White that the devil doesn't want you to understand this verse. Of course, that would be true of any scripture of of the Bible. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 6, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, Unto whom God imputeth. And the word imputeth, you could put the word credit. Credits righteousness without works. Imagine the blessedness. Now some people think they're blessed because they have wealth or positions or possessions. But the real blessedness of a person is to know that God has forgiven them. You can't be more blessed than that. That God would impute or credit the righteousness of Jesus Christ to your account with having, having, having to do anything. So what this verse is saying, and we'll go back to David here and see what David said. Is when I came to Christ, not growing up in a church, just grew up in the world, at the age of 20, I gave my life to Jesus. And when I gave my life to Jesus and I confessed my sins, he forgave me of those sins. My name was now written in the book of life. And besides those confessed sins is the word pardoned. And so God forgave me of those sins. But he did something else according to this verse. He imputed, he credited to my account in heaven... The righteousness of Christ without me having done any kind of works. Isn't that what it says? That when we come to Christ, we give our sins to Christ. And we're going to read a statement here. And then God can look at us as if we never sinned because those sins aren't on our account anymore. Christ took them. He bears them. 
And then what God does is he then takes the life of his son, 33 years of a perfect, sinless, beautiful life. And it says in Romans 4, 6, he credits that to us. He imputes it to us without having done anything, any works at this point. Now, that's a God of love. And I could say, Father, you would do that for me? 20 years of sin, 20 years of being in the world, and you would forgive me of all the things I said, all the things I did, all the wrong feelings, as if I had never done them. And then you would credit to me a life I have never lived. A beautiful, perfect life whereby Jesus went around healing all who were sick. Passed by, no human being is worthless. But friends, that's the beginning of forgiveness. Notice what it says in Acts chapter 2. Let's turn there real quickly. Acts chapter 2, and we'll turn back to Romans. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When we give our sins to Jesus, he not only pardons us, not only credits the life of Jesus to our account, but what else happens? Something that has to happen. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, the remissions of sins is the forgiveness of sins. So when we have the remissions of sins, it goes on and says, And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So at the age of 20, I gave my sins to Jesus, and now he bears them, and they're no longer attached to me. It's as I never committed them. And then he takes his righteousness, applies it to my account, and now I'm accounted judicially innocent. But I still have to be what? Made righteous, made innocent. Because the person that committed those sins is still alive. So when I gave those sins to Jesus, he not only gave me his righteousness, he gave me something else. What did he give me? He gave me the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit, when we're born again, born of the Spirit, like Jesus told Nicodemus, It's the only way you're going to be able to not only see the kingdom of God in the future, but in this life, you could not possibly see my kingdom. You could possibly never understand my kingdom unless you're born again, born of the spirit with a spiritual mind. Now you can understand spiritual things and live a whole new life. Because now with the Holy Spirit, having been forgiven of my past, I can now begin to live a new life and not still live the old life than one I was just forgiven for. And so as you go back to Romans chapter chapter 4, verse 6, you start thinking about what David is saying, the blessedness of the man whom God's going to forgive of all his sins as if he never sinned and credit to his account the righteousness of his own son without having done anything. Because if we had to do something to earn salvation, how many good works would you have to do to earn a new body? How many good works would you have to do to get a mansion in heaven or to have eternal life? 
You see, there's never amount of good works you could possibly do. You could never, ever earn salvation. It is the gift of God. And yet we were made for good works to give glory to God. That's what life is. And what we want is life. Do you know what death is? Sin. Sin causes death. And when we keep participating in sin, we're not living life. As we live in sin, we, we wouldn't even know what life really is. Yeah, we're bleed, breathing and we're going here and going to and fro. But when you and I continue to choose to remain in sin and live a sinful life, we're putting ourselves in a position that we don't even re- recognize what life is about. You know, gossip and angry feelings, that's not life, that's death. What we want is life. And life is love and patience and goodness. And when you have the fruit of the Spirit, you just tasted what eternal life is about, even in this fallen flesh. Let's think about a little bit about what David was really describing here as we look at some of his own words. Psalm 40, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 40. Verses 1 through 3. Verse 1, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And established my goings. He hath put a new song in my, in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, fear, and shall trust in the Lord. So, so David says, you know, there was a time. I was like in this horrible pit. And that's what sin is. It's like being in a horrible pit and you cannot get yourself out. Imagine being in a pit that's 10 feet deep, 20 feet deep, and it's all just wet and slush and muddy. You can't climb out of that. You can't do it yourself. And yet God can pull you out of that pit and set you on a rock. And it set you on a rock in such a way that you're going to live a new life that now other people want to trust in the Lord. That's why God raised us up. That's what the church is for. Let's turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verses 1 through 4. Listen to these words of David. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Oh, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Verse 7, oh, purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. 
You see how David saw himself as one who was in a was in a pit. He was one who had these terrible, terrible transgressions. But you know, friends, it doesn't matter what he did. doesn't matter how many times he did it. God is able to cleanse him and recreate him and restore him into the image of God. That's God's plan of salvation, isn't it? But to be restored in the image of God, we cannot be simply forgiven of our past. Our mind has to be restored to think right thoughts. That's why we get the Holy Spirit, to have a spiritual mind, to get a renewed mind. That our thoughts, our feelings, our aspirations, our motives are now all different. They move towards life, not death. In First Selected Messages, page 367. The law demands righteousness, and this the sinner owes to the law, but... He is incapable of rendering it. The only way in which he can attain to righteousness is through faith. By faith, he can bring to God the merits of Jesus. And the Lord places the obedience of his son to the sinner's account. Christ's righteousness is accepted in place of man's failure. And God receives, pardons, justifies the repentant, believing soul, treats him as though he were righteous, and loves him as he loves his son. That's God's forgiveness. That I can come to God with all my sins and give them to God, and he will give me the merits, the life of his own son, and put it on my account. It will replace all my failings. And then God will look at me as if I were righteous. You imagine that? And he will love me as he loves his son, Jesus. That's good news, friends. That's only half of forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? That's half of justification. And then there's sanctification after that. The Christian experience is a beautiful experience of being recreated in the image of God. But this is something that has to happen every day. But we not we have to do more than confess what we've done to have that experience. we got to come to God and admit and confess what we have become. And be willing to forfeit that life inside of us that has caused us to do things that are displeasing to God. From the book Steps to Christ, page 62. We have no righteousness of our own with which to meet the claims of God's law. But Christ has made a way of escape for us. He lived on earth amid trials and temptations such as we have to meet. He lived a sinless life. He died for us. And he now and now he offers to take our sins and give us his righteousness. If you give yourself to him and accept him as your savior, then sinful as your life may have been, for his sake you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character, and you are accepted before God as if you had not sinned. That's amazing. That is an amazing God 
who will declare to the whole angelic realm that Jeff is innocent. He just gave all his sins to my son and I'm going to treat him as if he's righteous and as if he had never, ever sinned. And you say, Father, you would do that for me? Oh, I got more. I will credit the life of my son to your account. I'm going to do something more. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to now live a new life. And you know what you're going to want to do with that Holy Spirit inside of you? You're now going to want to live the life that's been credited to you. When you think about it, that would be the only proper response. And you would never say, thanks for crediting me the life, but I don't want to have anything to do with it. No, the only proper response is I want that life lived out in me, the same life that's been credited to me. I want you to look at a beautiful verse in Romans. It's something we studied this quarter. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. And this is the other part of forgiveness. There is the forgiveness where we are judicially accounted righteous as if we never sinned. But there's also the part of forgiveness where we're no longer at enmity with God. We are at peace with God. We've been changed. We got a new heart, a renewed mind. Look at these beautiful words of Paul. Romans chapter 5 verse 4 or verse 1. Romans 5 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. What's the topic? Justification. What's justification? Forgiveness. Revival. We're not talking about sanctification in this verse. We're talking about forgiveness. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we were justified, we weren't at peace with God. We were at enmity with God. But now that we've been forgiven, we're no longer at enmity, we're now at peace. I want to read you this beautiful statement from God's Amazing Grace, page 319. Christ is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6. And it is his mission to restore to earth and heaven the peace that sin has broken. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. Now listen to this. Whoever, whoever consents to renounce sin and open his heart to the love of Christ becomes a partaker of this heavenly peace. Notice what this peace does in us. There is no ground of peace than this. The grace of Christ received into the heart subdues enmity. It allays or reduces, diminishes strife and fills the soul with love. He who is at peace with God and his fellow man cannot be made miserable. Envy will not be in his heart. Evil surmising will find no room there. Listen to this. Hatred cannot exist. The heart that is in harmony with God, is a partaker of the peace of heaven, and it will diffuse its blessed influence on all around. The spirit of peace will rest like dew upon hearts weary and troubled with worldly strife. God's Amazing Grace, page 319, Sister White's comments on Romans 5.1. If you and I are justified by faith, and we now have peace with God That means we're no longer at enmity with God. Is that right? 
Now I want you to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. So when it comes to justification, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to revival, the beginning of a whole new life, you're not only forgiven of your past, you are now at peace with God. Romans 8, 6 and 7. For to be cardinally minded, what's cardinally minded? That would be the mind that you and I were born with. It's the natural mind. For to be cardinally minded is is death. But to be spiritually minded, that's the mind we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit and we give our sins to Jesus, right? To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, the natural mind, the one we're born with is what? Enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God Neither indeed can be. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, there were two problems that God had to solve. One is they had a sinful record now. They broke the law. You might say they had a rap sheet. But there was something actually more, much more of a problem with Adam and Eve. They hid from God. They would even blame God for what they had done. They were now at enmity with God. They were created with a spiritual mind, but now they had a carnal mind. And God couldn't just forgive them for what they did. He had to change what they had become. He had to give them a new mind, a new heart, if he were to save them for eternity. He couldn't just forgive them for what they did. He had to change them. So the mind that Adam and Eve had after sin was a carnal mind. It's the only mind they could pass on to their the future generations. But the good news is, is we can have a spiritual mind. But the problem is, the mind we're born with, which is inherently self-centered, is enmity against God. Now notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the, the carnal mind is at enmity with God, as if, if I could just change my mind a little bit, I wouldn't be at an enmity anymore. No, it doesn't say that. It says the mind you, are not, you and I were born with is the enmity against God. And if those thoughts, that mind, isn't renewed, we'll never see the kingdom of God. We will never see ourselves as we need to see ourselves. We won't be able to think spiritually. We won't understand spiritual things with a carnal mind. The carnal mind would never, ever choose to submit itself to the will of God. It's too self-centered. It's fallen. It's carnal. Only when you or I are born again, this is why he gives us the Holy Spirit, is we, with the Holy Spirit, we would now, with this now spiritual mind, we could now choose. To submit our will to the will of God. But with a carnal mind you would never do that. Do you realize that if God had not sought after us. There's not a human being in this world that was sought after God. After Adam and Eve sinned and they hid themselves for God. What if God said "Ah, forget them. I'm not going to do anything to try to save them. And what if it was possible that Adam and Eve says you know. I think maybe we better find God again. What could they possibly do? They had no wings. Even if they had a spaceship, where would they go? God initiates the plan of salvation. 
If it wasn't for God wanting us to live for him forever, which was always been his intentions, we're lost. And with our cardinal mind, none of us, not Abraham, not Moses, there's not a human being who would have chosen to search after God and submit to God's will with a carnal mind. If we wind up coming to God and willing to submit our will to Him, it's because the Holy Spirit has led us to do this. Not forced us, but led us. And gave us the opportunity to exercise our freedom of choice on the side of right. Without God, none of that's possible. So our problem... We have to have a different mind. You know, we're not going to get new bodies until the second coming of Christ. But you know you could have a renewed mind right now? Do you know that our minds physiologically actually change as we become more like Jesus? In our brains, there's these little habit centers called boutons. It's a French word for button because those little habit centers look like buttons. And our brain, if you looked at our character, it would be like looking at the stars at night or looking at a picture from Hubble Telescope, and you see these gazillion of stars. And imagine that every one of those stars represents a thought or an action that you've committed or participated in. That's who you are. You and I are the sum total of all these habit centers we've developed in our brain. And the more times you repeat a thought or an action, the stronger that habit center becomes. But when I receive Jesus and I have the Holy Spirit, do you know what happened to me at the age of 20? For the first time in my life, I wanted to read the Bible. For the first time in my life, I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I could now begin new pathways of behavior. I was beginning to have a renewed, a new mind. Where now I could have new thoughts, new habits by the power of God. And the old thoughts... Oh, they're still there, but by disuse, like a muscle, they get weaker and weaker and weaker. And we really physiologically are getting a renewed mind, the mind of Christ. Though we have to wait till the second coming to get a new body. So every day, you want to feed this mind with truth And make decisions because it's thoughts and feelings and actions that need to take place to create that new habit. And if you read truth and then do the truth by God's power, you've created a stronger and stronger pathway of behavior so that it simply becomes second nature to do what God wants you to do. But that's what sanctification is about. But you can never have sanctification unless... You're born again, born of the Spirit, giving your sins to Christ. He takes them, credits you the righteousness of His Son, and gives you the Holy Spirit. That's forgiveness, justification. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Many of you could go ahead and quote that. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, when we study the life of Jesus, we need to be thinking more about what is Jesus thinking? How does he look at people? How does he see people? Don't just try to memorize his life. Drink in his life. Look at how people were treated by Jesus. How he spent his time, more time healing people than preaching. 
And you know, friends, we're never going to finish this work by just simply proclaiming the truth. Our life has to be filled with ministering to people. It is the combination of sharing the truth with these good deeds that breaks up the soil of people's hearts that allows those seeds of truth to be planted in the heart. One of the reasons we are given a health work is not only because God loves us physically, mentally, spiritually. It is because in the end, when God's people are out there helping people, the world has a chance to look back and say, well, why are you persecuting these people? They're the ones that helped me stop smoking. They're the ones that helped me overcome cancer. They're the ones that helped me with this. They're the ones that were there for me when I was hungry. They were the ones who visited me when I was in prison. See, this gives other people the opportunity to actually make a right decision at the end of time because they don't just see a people who own printing presses. They see a group of people who walk as Jesus walked, who went about doing good because, you know, friends, that's what life is. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to do those things because that's what Jesus did. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. In the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter 12, Book of Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And also in Ephesians 4.23 it says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Why is that an important verse? Because when we look at Ephesians 4.23, God's not asking us just to fill the mind with information. He says in Ephesians 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your attitude, your motives, everything, why you think the way you think, the things that you do become very important. I want to... Since I'm running out of time, I want to go ahead and I want to read you a statement here that talks about forgiveness. And it gives, you, gives us a, a new word to think about when it comes to forgiveness. Notice what it says here. Christ's object lesson, page 112, 113. Christ gave his life to secure for us this inestimable treasure. But without, notice this word, regeneration through faith in his blood, there is no remission of sin, no treasure for any perishing soul. What's the topic? Remission of sin. What's remission of sin? Forgiveness. Notice the tie of forgiveness to this new word, regeneration. And again, my whole point is that forgiveness is more than forgiveness of the past. It is the beginning of a new life. Where you come up off your knees having confessed what you've done and who you are. That you forfeited the life that caused you to sin. To now live this new life. But it says without regeneration through faith in his blood there's no remission or forgiveness of sins. The word regenerate comes from the word to generate. The word generate would be similar to the word create. So in the beginning, God generated, created Adam and Eve out of nothing. Is that right? Regeneration could not be called regeneration unless it was similar to generation. 
So to be regenerated means that God's going to recreate us just like he generated or created Adam and Eve. And everything God creates, everything that God generates is perfect. God would never generate or create anything that is evil. This is one reason we keep the Sabbath. We keep the Sabbath because we know God would do nothing evil. And we know that God's creative power creates all things that are holy, just, and good. And we know that by keeping the Sabbath, that God who generated Adam and Eve can regenerate us into the image of God's dear Son. We don't keep this day just because it's the seventh. We keep it because the seventh, what it represents. It represents life. It represents power. represents God's power. And his power is only and always to do good. So when we come here Sabbath morning, we're committing ourselves to be recreated, regenerated for only one purpose. To do good. And not to do evil. The Sabbath... It's about life and the meaning of life. Let me read you one more statement here. This is from Steps of Christ, page 49. As your conscience has been quickened by the Holy Spirit, you have seen something of the evil of sin, of its power, its guilt, its woe. You look upon it with abhorrence. You feel that sin has separated you from God, that you're in bondage to the power of sin. The more you struggle to escape, the more you realize your helplessness. Your motives are impure. Your heart is unclean. You see that your life has been filled with selfishness and sin. You long to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be set free. Now notice this statement. Harmony with God, likeness to him, What can you do to obtain it? She doesn't say obtain them. Because likeness to God, harmony with God, and likeness to God are the same thing. If you and I want to be at peace with God, we need to choose to be like him. That's where the peace comes from. If you and I want to be in harmony with God, We, by the power of the Holy Spirit, choose to be recreated, regenerated into the very image of Jesus Christ. Now that is the work of a lifetime. But that life begins with forgiveness. And let me maybe close with this verse here, this statement. First Selected Messages, page 128. A revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life, a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection from spiritual death. Reformation signifies a reorganization. A change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. Reformation cannot bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless it is connected with the revival of the spirit. 
Revival and Reformation are to do their appointed work. And in doing this work, they must blend. Very important statement. What you and I have been talking about this morning is forgiveness, justification, revival, the beginning of a new life, going from spiritual death to now having spiritual life. You're born again, born of the Spirit. More than forgiven of the past, you've received the Holy Spirit and Christ's righteousness has been accounted to your has been given to your account. But what follows revival and forgiveness and and uh, revival, forgiveness, and justification is sanctification and reformation. So, once we've got now the Holy Spirit and we have a spiritual mind, God can begin the work of sanctification, which is reformation, the beginning of re-educating us to have right ideas, right feelings, right purposes, Because every one of us who came to Christ, no matter what your age, when you came to Christ, you came to him just as you are. With previous thoughts and ideas and theories that were wrong. And now that you have the Holy Spirit, you still have those ideas and theories. But now the process begins where God's going to re-educate us. As we make our way to the heavenly Canaan. When the children of Israel came out of Passover, that's the same as being spiritually revived. They were born again. But before they got to Canaan, they had to get re-educated. And before Jesus returns, we need that new birth experience as the first work in the morning to receive the Holy Spirit. The first thing in the morning to have that spiritual mind. And the rest of the day is all about reformation. Re-education. And as you study God's word, you're going to learn things that you never knew before. And some of those things you're going to learn is going to change your ideas about things you used to think were right. And now you realize, oh, no, the Bible actually teaches this instead. And when God brings you in a situation, you realize that, oh, there's some bad feelings in me. I didn't know that was still there. That doesn't mean you're lost. It means that God's working with us. If you begin each day being revived of the Holy Spirit, asking God to cleanse you, not just forgive you, cleanse you of that old life, he will allow you to go through things today to learn some things that you have to unlearn. Maybe it's some ill feelings. Maybe it's some wrong concepts. But you see, that's a work of a lifetime. (laughs) You know, you look at what's happened in this world. Satan is trying to fill this world with so many wrong ideas and theories. You look at where people are today. People thought they were doing God's will by flying planes into three buildings. How do people come to that kind of theories and thinking? What would make us think it's right to yell at one another or to withhold good? Where do we learn these things? It's not right. And so God takes us through life's tests and trials. To educate us. But see, because we're already born again, we know that no matter what he shows us, we can live that new life. And day by day, choice by choice, we begin to think more and more like Jesus. But as it was shared this morning, you've got to choose to engage in this battle. By not making a choice to receive the Holy Spirit, you've made a choice 
And by default, you fall to the wrong side. Spiritual growth is a choice. It doesn't just happen. You have to choose this. And you choose this as your first work to see the face of God before you see the face of man. Because I can assure you that if you don't begin your day with God, you're going to fall on your face. And you're going to do things that are death and not life. You'll think things, say things you didn't need to say. But you say it because without the power of God, you and I can't do what's right. But with God, we can do all things. Realize our dependency. Just like the Hebrews, they couldn't get themselves out of slavery. But God found a way. And God can find a way for us to get out of the slavery of sin. So that we're free. Free to be in the school of Christ to learn new things, new ideas, new purposes, new feelings. All after the beautiful, beautiful life of Jesus Christ. Every day is an opportunity to become more beautiful in Christ. Today is an opportunity, every day, to help someone else become more beautiful in Christ. Don't throw those days away. We don't have many days left in this old world. Every day is very, very important to us. Things are happening in our world that tells us that Jesus is coming soon. Our Father in heaven, you are altogether beautiful and wonderful. When you created us, you created us for eternity. You created us perfect. In a perfect little world. Forgive us, Father, of the sins that have been committed in our world and the sins we ourselves have committed. But, Father, we know that you have a plan to redeem us. So, Father, may we desire to be more than forgiven of our past. Help us, Father, to come to you each day to be cleansed, to be renewed. Thank you, Father, for your patience in re-educating us. But, Father, help each one of us to be in that school and opening our word every day to learn of you. So, Father, as we are here together standing before you, we would ask for the promise of the Holy Spirit to that we each would allow him to do his perfect work in us, a work that he's fully capable of doing, and not hinder it. For there's nothing that this world offers that is important than eternal life itself. So, Father, we thank you for these sacred hours, and we ask that you will continue to keep our thoughts heavenward as we enjoy our fellowship together. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.